0: I'm Colleen and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way and become your own best friend. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes because it's not what you do. It's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery because our needs are not negotiable. In this episode, we're going to talk about recovering our brain health after addiction. Addiction is so much more than a bad habit. And there are so many different layers and levels and approaches to recovery, and I aim on this podcast to give you multiple points of entry. In early episodes of the podcast, I talk about the brain chemistry of addiction and dopamine deficits and, you know, what it looks like to support your brain and understand that the feelings you're having aren't always you know, a reflection. Well, actually, they're never a reflection of your environment, but the feelings and the struggles that you're having have very biochemical roots and recovery requires more than just positive thinking. It requires understanding what you're going through. And in this episode, we're going to take another level or layer look at addiction and what is going on in the brain In terms of our thought patterns and how we can recover our brain function and elevate our state of consciousness out of that really low level base reaction to life. You know, when we're in active addiction to anything, for the most part, we are just being controlled by our base urges. And the motivation to get out of addiction isn't just because you're hurting yourself or you're not as functional as you want to be, but because as humans, we pride ourselves with the concept of choice. We pride ourselves that we have free will. And when you're living in addiction, you're no longer experiencing life as a choice. I mean, of course you have choices and nothing is all or nothing. But the stronger a habit becomes, the, the less choice you have on where your focus is. Because if anything, you're distracted by this low-level background urge. You know, habits aren't conscious choices by definition. Habits are processes that our brain has just automated. And when we are in a habit, both good and bad, we're not making an active choice habits bypass our consciousness. One of the definitions for addiction is that it is a narrowing of things that make you happy. Not doing the thing begins to feel more and more uncomfortable. Our baseline levels of anxiety are elevated. And I've talked about this in other podcasts about how a drinker if you're a regular drinker your baseline levels of cortisol are through the roof you're living in a chronic state of stress and that is a function of neurochemistry high cortisol levels feel stressful in the body but today i'm going to talk about what's going on cognitively what's actually going on in your neural networks think of your brain as a garden with a lot of different plants and each Plant represents a different neuro pathway, and each pathway represents a different experience, a different thought process, a certain type of reaction that we have, different emotions, different moods, and each thought pattern has tentacles, if you will, different receptors that that activate the pathway, and it's the external cues in the environment that trigger or activate that pathway. And the more we repeat a behavior, the more it becomes connected to our experience of reality. So just thinking about alcohol use disorder, for example, you know, I was introduced to alcohol in my late teens and alcohol for me was something that occasionally certain kids in certain places would have alcohol and I would drink. And then I went to college and I associated drinking, not just with a few people, but certain days of the week. You know, we, we started drinking on Thursday nights and usually Thursday and Friday and Saturday nights were drinking nights. And then slowly over time, drinking became associated, once I turned 21, with going out to dinner. And then it was getting together with friends. And over time, my neuro pathways of reacting to alcohol started incorporating many, many different external triggers. So it wasn't just certain people or it wasn't just certain days of the week, but it was a response to certain moods. You know, if there was something to celebrate in the early days, well, that requires a a bottle of wine or champagne. And then it became associated with a time of day, happy hour. You know, it's four or five o'clock, it's time to drink. And then it started being associated with certain moods um, or stress, you know, and my brain started to tell me if I experienced a a stressful event, oh, I need a drink. And what's going on in the brain is that that neuropathway that has alcohol uh, as the answer, you know, neuropathways are just automated Pathways where something happens and it produces a certain response. So, more and more entry points into that neuro pathway became automated. You know, it's almost like um, an addictive neuro pathway is a little bit cancerous. It starts reaching into other areas of your life and it sucks you in almost like a black hole or something where if, if certain stimulus happens, then the response is always the same. My favorite joke as a drinker was, any problem, the answer is C, add vodka. And that is what happens over time. The more I drank, the more, because of its addictive nature, the more I felt that drinking was the appropriate response and I lost my ability to regulate my use because in my brain, it made perfect sense to add alcohol to whatever was going on. So the addiction developed slowly over time as I practiced the behavior of drinking and I associated drinking with more and more emotional cues, circumstantial cues, social cues, whatever. So that neuro pathway in my brain just really built out. And like I said, it's almost like an invasive or a cancerous species. The more alcohol became the answer to certain things, the less other coping skills or other appropriate responses or self-care became the answer. And I just lost my ability to choose how I respond, and my brain was operating at a very unconscious, unawakened level. And that's why it became so hard to regulate and control myself because in order to control it, I had to try because I had built this habit into my brain. And so in times of stress or you know, distraction. It didn't even feel like a decision to have a drink. That's just what I did. And that became my comfort zone. That became my automatic habit. And it requires a lot of effort to get out of our neuropathways once they exist and create new ones. But here's the good news. Our brains are always creating neuropathways, which is why addiction is progressive and why it's so much easier to just eliminate alcohol completely for however long it takes to feel like you've fully recovered your brain. Our brains are in a constant state of change until the day we die. And if you're close to my age, I'm almost 50, we all grew up with thinking that, you know, we're born with a certain amount of neurons and then those are decreasing until the day that we die. We now know that the brain is highly plastic. Neurons form new connections with each other, with all new experiences. Physical changes occur in our brains with every thought, emotion, and behavior. Every experience literally changes the shape of our neural networks in our brain. So I'm going to put a video in the show notes. It's a four second video. It's a link to YouTube that shows two neurons that have never communicated before reaching out and attaching to each other as a chemical message is, is conveyed. And once that connection is there, it will be there. This is how we learn new things. This is how any new habit is formed. And if you think you can't form new habits, just think about when the subtle things that our brain automates the process for, driving a car. And you may think, well, that happens when you learn how to drive a car, but actually anytime you go into a new environment, you know, you get a new job or you move to a different city, And it takes time for your brain to automate the process of, say, how to get to work or how to get to the store of your choice or whatever. Anytime you do something for the first time, it requires a lot more energy and attention. And then over time, you don't even notice that you're doing it. This is true throughout our lives. It doesn't matter if you're five or 85. Our brain has to form new connections in order to automate our habits. So that's the good news. Because if our brains are in a constant state of change, then you have a choice. You can change by chance, just being a response to the circumstances in your environment, using the same neural networks that you always have, or you can change by choice by becoming aware of the options of the other thought pathways that you could go down that lead to different feelings and different behaviors and then shifting and redirecting your focus. So you can change by chance or you can change by choice, but you're going to change. Life is a constant state of change. And the same mechanism that traps you in bad habits and addictions, is, is also the mechanism that allows you to retrain your brain. And that's simply repetition. The more you do something, the more familiar and comfortable it feels. And if this is true for a behavior like drinking, which doesn't feel comfortable and doesn't feel good, the longer you do it, the more negative consequences you have, the more it takes a toll on your body. And yet it feels hard to change that. Just imagine the rewarding process that happens when the behavior that you're trying to reinforce feels good and elevates your consciousness and makes you feel like you've got choices and options. And you begin to see how much power you have to choose your reality and to choose how you act upon the world. You can not only change what you do, but you can also change how you feel and what you think by choice. You can decide what you want to think on purpose, start thinking that, repeat it, and then you will start feeling differently and start behaving differently. And the only thing that you need to know for sure in order to make that happen for yourself is that it's possible that it's possible to change, that it's possible to think differently about whatever you wanna think about. It's possible to take control of your base urges and interrupt them. It's possible to withstand the discomfort that is only temporary of denying yourself some short-term, unconscious, subconscious reward that isn't really a reward. And it's possible to interrupt that neuropathway and choose something different. Having a belief in not only that change is possible, but also a specific vision of what change could look like for you, what success looks like for you, is the foundation of recovery. You have to believe it's possible. You know, think of a child who is going to school and is struggling to learn to read and feels super stupid. Imagine that a child like that who ultimately has dyslexia is born to parents who've never heard of dyslexia and they shame the child and blame the child for not getting better scores on their homework, they're not studying for their tests, they're just not trying hard. That child begins to respond to the environment with the belief that there's something wrong with them and that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and then contrast that with a child who's struggling to read and not doing well with learning certain co- in certain contexts of school but has a parent who is dyslexic and who is open about the struggles and is able to identify that this is a brain deficit and not something wrong with the, the child and this, that success is still very possible with the right tools and applying effort and is able to role model a completely different outcome so that the child believes that they're capable of learning. They just need different tools. They need to work differently than their peers. There's nothing wrong with the child. In fact, sometimes dyslexia can be a little bit of a superpower. Dyslexia can be predictive of highly successful people because they have to think differently. They have to look at problems differently. And sometimes when properly applied, dyslexia can actually be something that they attribute to massive success. So the first step in addiction, if you're coming out of alcohol use disorder or any other self-defeating coping habit, it could be emotional eating, it could be shopping, it could be workaholism, or even deeper layers of socialized behaviors like you know people pleasing or approval seeking or emotional dysregulation of any sort. Realizing that automated thought processes are not a sign that something is wrong with you, but simply that your brain needs to be trained to respond differently to its environment, allows for this to be a process of healing. The problem isn't with you as a soul, as a spirit, it's just with your brain. And if you believe that you can go from a person who can't control yourself with alcohol or can't control yourself with food or is constantly, you know, emotionally dysregulated and overreacting to everything, maybe even suffering from symptoms of personality disorder. If you realize that none of that is permanent, none of that is fixed, none of that is the way that you are. It's just the way that you think. And there are very specific and simple tools that allow you to change the way you think if only you believe that it's possible. And so let me just share for a minute about how I have changed so that you can have an example of somebody who has changed on purpose. When I quit drinking, my biggest brain deficits, I would say, were emotional reactivity. I had a very low stress tolerance. I lost my shit pretty quickly, not so much on the outside, but in my relationship with myself, inside my own head. I, you know, didn't freak out at the grocery store. I was very good at pretending everything was fine all the time, smiling. But in my relationship with myself, I often just shut down, which means I lost my ability to choose. I just went into automated habits. Anytime you have a stress response, your body reverts to, you know, just rote behaviors. And so when I encountered a situation where I felt bad, whether it be insecure or angry or frustrated or shame or regret or whatever, anytime I experienced a negative emotion, I didn't know how to respond to it. And as the neural network in my brain's expanded for alcohol, almost any incoming trigger, my thought, my brain said, the answer to this is to drink. And so because that neural network was so big, kind of like a cancer in my brain, I lost my ability to choose other responses like self-care or journaling or just allowing myself to feel uncomfortable for five minutes, like that's not that big of a deal. And now I've built out the neural network where I love being uncomfortable. I love sitting with it because I'm so excited about choosing what I'm thinking and I'm experiencing such success with driving my own brain and listening to my nervous system and practicing self-care that is working out so well for me that now, whenever I encounter an uncomfortable emotion, the moment I realize I'm suffering for me, that's the escape hatch. That's the moment when I realize, Oh, This isn't happening out in the real world. This is happening in my brain. This is my thoughts. My thoughts aren't true. My emotions are just a reflection of my thoughts. And I don't have to believe my thoughts. I don't have to be a victim of my own thoughts and emotions or of anybody else's. Like it's all stories. It's all made up in my head anyway. And if I'm going to make it up, I'm going to make up something that works for me. So the moment I realize that I'm suffering because of my own story is the moment that I have the invitation to choose something different, choose a different response. I've boiled this down into a mantra or an easy to apply tool and I'll share it with you. And I call it the emotional ownership statement. And it goes like this, blank is not the problem. My thoughts and feelings about blank are the problem. So, let me explain an example of how this, how I use it. So, um, the first time it ever truly pulled me out of a situation was I was dealing with my now 18-year-old daughter and we were going into her senior year and she was making decisions that I didn't agree with about what activities she was gonna be in and how her schedule was gonna go and when she was gonna graduate. And I was getting really upset because as her mother, I do know what's best for her. I mean, right? And I had a story that if she didn't do things my way, that that would surely go very bad for her. Um, and it really wasn't about what I wanted. I wanted her to be successful. And I thought that the decision she was making ultimately would be bad. Well, the more we talked about it, you know, I tried to pretend like I was giving her a choice and let, letting her guide her own destiny. But honestly, I was just trying to manipulate her into getting her to do what I wanted so that I could feel better about the situation. So I could tell myself a story that she was on track to do and be everything that I needed her to be so that I could feel good about myself as a mother. With a side effect of having a happy and healthy, successful child, daughter, adult, you know, she's growing up. Well, we started going head to head and she was not caving. And I kept trying the things that I've always done to get her to follow in my guidance. And she wasn't having it. She was putting down a boundary, mom this is how I'm going to do it. I've thought about it and you've told me and taught me that there is no right decision, there's the decision I make right. Doesn't it suck when your kids use your shit against you? I mean, right? Anyway, she threw that one back at me and I was not able to control my emotions. I was not proud of myself, I was starting to yell and possibly slam some shit on the counter and all of a sudden I had an epiphany all of a sudden i realized holy crap this is not the problem what she does this decision that my daughter wants to make the the action she wants to take are not the problem that's causing me upset my thoughts and feelings about her decision and the story i'm telling myself about potential consequences that is what is causing me upset that is the problem here my thoughts and feelings are the problem. Oh my God. I like, it felt like a 50 pound weight off my chest. And I looked at her and I excused myself and I said, oh, I I have to take a time out here and go get myself together because I need, this is not how I want to show up and I want to respect you and myself. And so we need to reschedule this conversation. Well, in that moment, that relief that I felt, that created new neural networks. Okay. So now that is a pathway that I am building out to the point where whenever I realize that I'm upset, as soon as I am able to realize, oh my God, blank is not the problem. My thoughts and feelings about blank are the problem. And I need to take care of my internal world. I need to look at self-care as a solution. It is such a relief to realize that I don't have to go solve world peace and solve some financial security for the rest of my life with money. I don't have to fix any problem that my kids have. I don't have to fix the world. I don't I can't fix any of it. Like the moment I realize that whatever story is a burr in my bonnet. And it's, not, it's just a story and that I have to first deal with my thoughts and feelings and realize that I can't solve a problem from the same state of consciousness that's creating it. And what does that even mean? That means if in my brain I see something as a problem, I can't come up with a solution to that problem. Because in reality, it's not a problem. In reality, it just is what it is. And it's the way I'm interpreting it. It's what I am making it mean. That is the problem. Otherwise, you just have neutral circumstances in the world that really have no meaning. Meaning is created in the mind. And our meaning is what drives our feelings. It's whatever we tell ourselves something means that creates the problem. And meaning is what connects neuropathways in our brain meaning expands our neural networks. So just like I explained how I went from alcohol being some distant thing that occasionally I ran into at parties to when I was a teenager to alcohol being something that multiple things throughout the day triggered me that if this happens, then that means alcohol is the solution that whatever the problem is, the answer is C, add vodka, realizing that nothing means anything in the real world. Meaning is a product of your thoughts. Meaning is created in the mind and you have the choice to decide what things mean. And not only that, you have a choice to override what you've decided things mean in the past and choose new meaning for the future. And so the first step to doing that is, again, believing that it's possible. And then the second step, if I was making a list here, the second step would be to realize that negative emotions as they come up for you are a reflection of what you're making things mean on the inside. So when you're feeling anxious and frustrated and angry or depressed, realizing that those are internal cues not objective reflections of the outside world and also really important is when you are experiencing negative emotions that is a sign that you're moving into an automated response because negative emotions are a signal that your body has gone into a stress response and when you're in a stress response your cognitive function starts to go offline of course it's a gradiated situation it's not completely offline the more stressed you are the more it goes offline but just having a little bit of stress reduces your your ability to choose because your your brain just goes into automated response it goes into a habit so negative emotions are a sign of a stress response Think of a stress response as a brain freeze. It's where whatever's going on is exceeding your capacity to deal with it in an analytical way. And so what happens is habituated behaviors kick back in, which is why you're not lazy. You're not stuck. If you reframe those experiences that happen when you find yourself eating or drinking or doing the thing that you said you weren't going to do. It's not a reflection of who you are as a person. You've had a stress response and the stress response is a fight or flight situation. So it's either triggering really, really busy busyness to do and solve problems and maybe reach for a drink or reach for food or do something or it's pushing you into kind of a dissociated response where you don't know what to do and you're just kind of frozen and stuck. The moment you notice that you're experiencing, let's say, resistance to something, or you feel stuck or you feel confused, like you got a really bad cases of the I don't knows and your brain starts spinning out, the moment you realize that you're in a stress response, is the moment you get to escape it because you can just allow for the stress response. You don't have to go down the path of thoughts and feelings and actions that are looping you around the cul-de-sac of stupidity, if you will. When you realize that this isn't you that doesn't know, it isn't you that's stuck, it isn't you that's lazy, It's just a stress response in your brain. That's it. And you can change your response from shame, feeling bad about yourself, and blame, blaming yourself for being stupid or lazy, or the circumstance, you know, somehow you're powerless to take action on your own behalf. You're a victim or blaming somebody else for holding you back or hurting you in the past that has created some emotional dysregulation, may or may not be true, not applicable to how you move forward. Okay, when you move from a shame and blame response, where you continue to tell yourself the same story and feel the same feelings and do the same behaviors, when you move from shame and blame into an expect and detect response, so expecting that you can find an alternative, expecting that you can handle the discomfort, expecting that you can solve this problem from an awareness that it's a brain function and not, you know, a sign that the world is coming to an end and that you're never going to be anything. When you can expect that there are ways to solve these problems, these emotional malfunctions, these brain deficits, because we've become so habitually conditioned to respond with short-term gratification because we've told ourselves in the past that we can't stand any discomfort or that this is just the way we are. When you expect that that's no longer something that you have to participate in, then you can start to detect, expect and detect solutions. You can start Okay, what does feel good? What do I need right now? How can I look at this differently? What am I making this mean? And how can I see it from a different point of view? Even just shifting from the realization that the, the problem is inside and not outside. The problem isn't with your people. The problem isn't with the circumstance. The problem is your reaction to the people to the circumstance that is your power because that allows you then to solve the real problem and not the story that you're telling yourself about a problem the solution to any problem is a shift in perspective all problems are subjective you know a a person who loses their job on any given day is that an ending is that a failure Well, it matters what you do next, not what's already happened. If you treat that circumstance, which is neutral, you had a job, now you don't have a job, you don't have a job right now. When you treat that as a neutral situation and not a reflection of who you are, a story about why you're never going to get anywhere, and instead look for different ways to look at it like it's an opportunity, then you get to move into a solution. Like, how do I comfort myself in this mor- this moment? This is embarrassing. This is potentially going to make me have to make different changes with my finances. I'm going to have to do something different. I'm going to have to give something up or I'm going to have to change something. This is going to be uncomfortable. And so I have to allow that discomfort, but I don't have to react to it. You know, I don't have to allow the discomfort to control me. I can feel the discomfort. I can process it. You know, emotions are like poop is how I say that with my clients. You know, when you're angry or frustrated or scared or lonely or whatever, like acknowledging that that's happening inside you and not a reflection of the outside world allows you to process that emotion. Just feel it. That's literally the answer. That's literally the difference between people who just don't know how to control their feelings and they don't know how to identify a feeling or feel the feeling. When you feel the feeling, like literally you can do that in 90 seconds or less. If you don't continue to fuel that feeling with the story or reactive behaviors that make things worse or bigger and badder stories that make things worse, when you don't react to the feeling and you just say, oh, Oh, this is the part where I feel bad. This is the part where I feel scared. This is the part where I feel rejection. This is the part where I feel yucky. Okay. And you allow for the feeling. You solve for the feeling. Then you allow that feeling to dissipate. The energy moves through you, which allows you then to think and look at life differently. We all know that we think differently based on how we feel. If you feel angry, everything out there is going to piss you off. Whereas if you feel super happy and confident, then most things that come at you, you perceive to be either not that big of a deal or as, hey, challenge accepted, I got this. So understanding that your emotional state is more important than the story you're telling yourself and solving for the emotional state is a huge part of recovery. First and foremost, because it pulls you out of the story. It shifts your perspective. It gives you a bird's eye view so that instead of focusing on the ant, on the bark, on the tree right in front of you, you can pull out and see the big picture. You can free yourself from the confines of your stories and all the assumptions that are holding you back and leading you into self-destructive, self-defeating behaviors, you can learn to let go and just accept what's happening. And that 95% of what is happening is happening inside your mind. And what you're telling yourself, the 5% of the external circumstance, what you're telling yourself that means. And so what does this look like in terms of practical advice? Yes, for me, the emotional ownership statement of blank is not the problem, my thoughts and feelings are the problem. For me, that is a line in the sand that allows me to shift into problem solving for my internal situation. And what I've learned is that there are two ways to deal with your internal situation, two pathways, if you will. I mean, there's a thousand ways to deal, but basically your feelings, what we're trying to do is feel better, right? We want to change the way we feel. There's two ways to do that. Your thoughts, all of your thoughts are triggering your feelings. So you can work with your thoughts and that can work. For me, the thought, blank is not the problem. My thoughts and feelings are the problem. That immediately makes me feel relieved. It's a, it's a huge like, oh, ah, okay, okay, let me, let me redirect here. So that's a thought that works for me. But just as and often far more effective in terms of changing the way we feel is through our behavior. It's the little tiny things that we do that make us feel good. For example, I had a client um, and we were talking about how lazy and how stuck she feels. She can't even fold the towels, she was saying. She's so lazy and there's just clutter everywhere and so she's telling herself that she's lazy. Well, she could sit around and think and analyze what's made her lazy and ask why am I like this and why, why, why me? Um, and you know, poor me because I'm just lazy and I'm stuck in this lazy ass body with all these lazy ass stories, or she could get up and fold the towels and that takes five minutes and the act of folding the towels begins to feed the sense of, okay, I can, if I can do this, what else can I do? I frame this sort of action as micro actions. For example, I don't want to go to the gym and I'm going to procrastinate going to the gym and then that procrastination is going to lead to me thinking bad thoughts about myself and whatever. Like I just, that's too big of a step sometimes. When you're stuck in a negative thought cycle, you need to find something that is closer. So for me, if I don't want to go to the gym, I will say that's fine drop and give me 10. Do 10 push-ups or go outside and run around the house. Do something that you can do in the next 1 to 5 minutes and that will give you a little bit of relief. That will that will shift your brain into action and make you feel more accomplished and when you feel accomplished, you start to do other things. Whereas the longer you sit in inaction, the less you want to do and the worse you feel and realizing you're just stuck in the weeds of one you know kind of cancerous neural pathway and just figuring out okay how do i jump into another neural pathway what can i do it's it's a small tiny bridge it's one little action and if a thought doesn't get you there then often movement will get you there You don't have to go to the gym and and perform Olympic level workouts. You just have to get off the couch. You know, another thing with me when I realize I'm kind of stuck, usually this will happen when I've decided to sit down and watch a show. And then three hours later, I'm still sitting there and my body starts to feel bad because my body's telling me to get the hell up and move. But I'm resistant to that and I think that I don't want to get up, but that thought is just a thought that's reflective of my internal state, that I've slowed down and I'm shaming myself for still sitting there and I'm starting to think of the things that I should be doing and it's it's just spiraling me down. Often the first and only step I'll take is grab the remote and shut the TV off and then throw the remote like onto the chair across the room. So at the very least, I got to get up and get the remote to turn the TV back on. Just small, simple, micro actions like that, that literally are you crawling out of the hole one inch at a time. Just like asking yourself the question, what can I do right now in the next five seconds? You know, making a, a quick decision, taking really fast action. Do 10 jumping jacks. Do one jumping jack just do something that shifts your focus from what you can't do into what you just did and so that's what i'm saying is that sometimes you can think your way out but the easier way is to move your way out to change the location and the shape of your body and in doing that you're going to trigger new neural pathways that are already existent of whenever I do this, I feel good, and then I do that, and then I feel good, and then I do more of that. So it's it's doing whatever it takes to, to bridge yourself from the neural network that you're stuck in, into something different. And the cool thing is that when you do that, you create a new neural pathway. And with repetition, that will become the default. So summing all of this up, Addiction is just an out of control pathway that has connected itself to many, many triggers in your environment and then also thought triggers in your head. And over time, repetition, giving in to the stimulus and the response has set that so that it goes automatic. And when you're in stressful situations, your brain goes on autopilot. So the key to brain recovery, to awakening your brain, is to realize that you can change those reactions. All you have to do is believe that it's possible. And a bridge belief, if you don't believe it's possible for yourself, because you are the way you are, and it's just, you know, the hand you're dealt with, you've always been weak and unmotivated and a procrastinator, then you can look at other people, such as myself, who's gone from a, a woman who has struggled with eating disorders her whole life, and addiction to various substances, namely and mostly alcohol and become a person who I no longer consider myself an addictive personality. I have full control over my emotions because the moment I realize I'm upset, and yeah, I still get upset, but the moment I realize I'm upset, I stop blaming the world or myself and look at what it is that I'm doing and thinking and ask myself what it is that I need in that moment. And so if you're struggling with your own lack of confidence in your ability to do this, just say well if it's possible for her hot mess party you want over there then it's obviously possible and so maybe i should explore my own beliefs and just try on the belief that it is possible because whatever you think is true and if it is true that i can change then the only thing that i need to do in the beginning is to become aware of when i'm moving into a negative emotional reaction when i'm having a stress response because the stress response is moving me into brain freeze and my responses become automated all those neural pathways connected to the addiction and other negative behaviors are all in place and if i want to move out of that then i have to reframe whatever problem it is i think i'm dealing with including my own behavior and shift out of that behavior being the problem and just understand it's my response to that behavior. I can change the way I'm res- I'm responding to my own depression, my own frustration, to my own anger. I don't have to be a victim of my own emotions. It is possible then for you to repeat this response of taking full responsibility and deciding how you wanna react and looking for those micro actions that allow you to crawl out of the hole one micro inch at a time. And then looking back over time and realizing that you're doing it. And that's the last thing I want to mention is that is one of the most powerful exercises you can do is to realize your progress. When you have some progress and, and you do really well for a period of time, or you make one good decision, if you don't notice that progress, then you're not reinforcing the new pathways. So for example, I have a habit most nights when I'm falling asleep of listing all the things that I did right that day and specifically the things I did right when I was still doing things wrong because you don't ever wake up one day and get it all right. There is no there. The, the town I have all my shit together does not actually exist. What happens over time is that you just have shorter periods of time where you're not doing it right. And there's less intensity of negative reactions and the duration and the intervals between times shortens and lessens, okay? So last week I got into an argument with my spouse and within a few minutes I had slammed a door and marched off, you know, I'd said something, the and then slammed the door and walked away. Later that night, as I lay in bed, I sat down and thought about all the ways I was proud of how I'd shown up in that moment because in the big picture, we had an argument that lasted five to six minutes and I handled myself really well right up until the slamming of the door. And then I removed myself and went to, a, to another room of the house and calmed myself down and returned and was able to re-engage with my spouse within 10 to 15 minutes, and we were joking and laughing and kissed each other goodnight, and went to bed, that represents so much progress. And had I only focused on the fact that I lost my shit and slammed the door, then I would have reinforced that neuropathway as to, well, if he wouldn't have said this, and I always do that, and i am got such a short fuse, that reinforces those pathways. Instead, my post-game analysis was what I did right. And even I even talked about that with him. Our end-of-the-day discussion after that argument was to discuss how we both showed up so much better and how we've improved over time. And so then that leads to the next inter- interaction and exchange. Both of us are expecting and detecting that we can improve instead of shaming and blaming each other. That's the key to recovery. That's the key to awakening your consciousness and truly choosing to change because you will change regardless and you can either change in an unconscious response to the way you've always done and eventually, you know, you like addiction, it gets progressive and it just becomes more and more connected to things and you're not choosing the the triggers and the cues, you're, you're unaware of that, and you just get into a smaller and darker place in your life, or you can expect and detect new ways of responding and shift out of that automatic reaction, to say, you know, my thoughts and feelings are the problem here, not whatever's going on, and it's what I'm making things mean, and I have the desire and the ability to choose my focus, and retrain my brain. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please take the time to rate and review the show so that other people can find it. I really appreciate it. And check out the show notes for any resources I've mentioned, including links to follow me on Instagram and join my private Facebook group where I connect with my tribe every day. I love it in there and we have so much fun. And finally, If you're ready to redefine sobriety so that you can feel excited about quitting drinking, follow the link to my 10 Days to Spontaneous Sobriety course, where I will help you eliminate, eradicate, obliterate, cancel your desire to drink. Because looking and feeling your best is addictive too. I'll see you soon.